Hey everybody and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Abajemra and I'm your host. It is uh, great to have you back with us if you've been here before and if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you checked in with us. This is a place where we share biblical truth for everyday life. Our hope is that you grow in the knowledge of God and that you continue to stand strong in a world that is shaken. And so this summer we are running a teaching series that I've put together called the Unshaken Series. It is an awesome teaching series and uh, one of the most popular teachings that I've done. It uh, focuses each week on a different Bible character, a man or woman that has stood strong in faith no matter the difficult circumstances they were in. I know that you're gonna find hope and healing with each of the weeks that will cover a different episode. And so uh, if you wanna know more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. And by the way, when you land on our page, check out our speaking page. And if you are looking for a person to come and teach uh, or lead a conference at your church or uh, group gathering, then please reach out. We'd love to meet you in person. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to today's teaching in the Unshaken series. All right, so we are in lesson 26, John 11. I call today's teaching Unshaken When God Doesn't Show Up on Time. Unshaken When God Doesn't Show Up on Time. And I don't know about you, but that is a theme in my life. And there's a lot of areas in my life. Of course, I'm still single. I'm in my late 40s. So a lot is an obvious one. But there are other things in my life that I've waited on God for. And, and it just hasn't happened yet. And some of you right away, you know what those seasons are. Some of you feel like, man, God, I expected you to do something. And you never did. And, and here you are, maybe in the later part of your life. Or maybe you're young. Maybe you're in your teens or 20s and you're watching this. And, and you might not have lived a long time. But it feels like you've been waiting a long time. Because that's how waiting is. Uh, you know, you've been to restaurants and, and you can walk in and be told like it's a 30 minute wait or an hour wait. It just sounds like waiting. And, and tonight we're not just talking about waiting, but about delays. Uh, I always think about waiting as sort of this interesting phenomenon. Like you can wait on something like you go to the airport, you have a flight that's at nine and you show up early and you wait and you know when it's going to happen. And that waiting is tolerable because you have an end point in time. It's the other kind of waiting that we hate. It's when you're at the airport and you see the sign delayed. Now, instead of going at nine, you're sitting at the airport going, okay, how much is it delayed? Is it 15 minutes? Is it 30 minutes? Well, they come on and you know the gig. The guy comes on and says, well, we don't know the problem. Then they come on and say, well, it's a mechanical problem. Then they change the gate. Then they might change the time again. And you get into the cycle of waiting and delays. And it's not long into that that you start to get irritable. Now, very few of us are really excited about that waiting. And imagine the times when you, you're told you got to come back the next day. It's like we're irate. We want to find somebody to complain to. We want a free meal. We want something, some kind of writing of the wrong that's happened to us. Now, think about your life. We all expect to wait. We understand if you've grown up in any kind of church or Christian culture that their waiting is part of the Christian thing. But it's the delays when God should have shown up. But the worst times are those times when, when he doesn't just not show up, but when it looks like what you're waiting on God for has already passed. And it's, here's the expression, it's too late. That's where we are in John 11. John 11 is a story of three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're close. They still live together. Not uncommon in the Middle East. And, and they uh, are very, in that culture, they would support one another. In fact, it was probably the, the trend, the, the way, the cultural habit that the women would not work outside of the house. It was the men that worked. And, and the women were protected by the men, even though this was not their husband. Mary and Martha had sort of uh, a, a protective relationship by Lazarus. He was probably the person who sustained the home. And now he's sick. 
And, and all three of these people love Jesus. They've had Jesus in their home. They believe who Jesus is, as we see into the passage. In fact, we're told about them. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. So right away, you get context. We know where these people are from. It talks about them as if we know who this Mary is, because we're told Lazarus of Bethany, that's the village of Mary. So the reader in, of this text, you know, when Luke, uh, or the, when uh, the beloved disciple John wrote this, it's like the understanding that people knew who he was talking about. Well, we know Mary and Martha from another passage of scripture in Luke, where they were having a party and Jesus was at their house. And remember, Martha was out serving. And Mary was out sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha was peeved because here's Mary who looks like all she wants to do is worship Jesus. And Martha's killing herself in the kitchen. And Martha says to Jesus, Jesus, why aren't you doing something? Tell something to my sister and and Jesus rebukes Martha lovingly and says man she's chosen the good thing and 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 we're so many of us have used that scripture and been encouraged by the example of Mary and Martha and sort of studied our personality types and how we tend to bend and 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 that's that couple that's Mary and Martha and and not only that but we're told that this Mary is the one who poured the ointment at the feet of Jesus and so, so they had a close, loving relationship with Jesus. And so the expectation, they know who Jesus is. They know he's a healer. That's what he did during his three years of ministry. This is towards the end of the ministry, right before, maybe a couple chapters, you know, a few weeks before he would go to, to Golgotha and die on the cross, as he predicted he would before uh, he, when, he, when he was here on earth. It wasn't a surprise that he would die. He tried to warn his disciples, and, and nobody understood it. But, but this is around that time. And so, so by that time... Uh, people were against, some people were starting, the Pharisees were against Jesus. They were looking for a way to trick him, to kill him. And so he had left this area. And now Mary and Martha see the seriousness of the situation. Their brother is sick. And so they do what every Christian man and woman ought to do. They pray. That's what, in, in essence, what they did. They went to Jesus. That's what prayer is. You go to Jesus. You ask him for help. So in fact, it says, so the sisters sent to him saying by the way the intercessor for us now is the holy spirit the part of the trinity who lives in us and he's interceding on behalf of us for god the father and so and so here they sent to him we don't know who went and spoke but again just the symbolism of this they have a need they do the right thing they go to jesus to jesus and they remind jesus this they say lord he whom you love is ill this is a very interesting way to present the prayer request because they're not just saying to Jesus, God, there's, we, we have a sick brother. Uh, we need you. We love you so much. They're not even trying to impress Jesus with the level of love. They assume he knows. What they're focusing on is how much Jesus loves them. There's a confidence in this love. Again, there's this sense of this is so easy. Like Jesus, you can heal. In fact, Jesus had healed before that incident from afar. There were, there were a couple instances where, where one time when the centurion came to Jesus and said, would you heal my, my servant? And, and Jesus from afar spoke the word. And then the centurion goes home and he finds this, this, the, the, the slave, his servant is healed. And he, gets, he said, at the time that Jesus spoke the word is when he was healed. So Jesus didn't even need to go to Bethany to heal Lazarus. It would have been an easy fix from afar. All right. And so, so, so he said, they say to him, Lord, he who, whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. We're talking about unshaken when God doesn't show up on time. And we're going to see now how Jesus delays. In fact, I want to give you the first point, but just to set this up. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
in John 11, verse 5. So again, it's reiterated. The Holy Spirit wants us to understand this is a family he loves and cares about. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Any ER doctor tells you if someone's sick and they're dying, like you don't dilly-daddle. You put the sandwich down and you go into the room and you help the person who's sick. But not Jesus, the person who can speak healing over any sick area in our life understands that he chooses the timing. And so when God doesn't show up on time, here's the first point in today's teaching. When God delays in his answers, there's always a really good reason why. There's always a really good reason why. God doesn't hurt us to our we might feel the pain, but he doesn't hurt us to, or he doesn't cause us pain to our hurt. He has a reason in the pain. God never uh, uh, calls us to hurt without a really good reason for it. I think Johnny Erickson Tata, I've said this before, her quote, God allows what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. And we're going to see this play out in this story so crystal clear. God allows what he hates. What does he hate? He hates to hurt his children. But he allows it because he knows there's a greater thing that he loves, that he's doing in us. I love um, a definition about pain and purpose that I saw Tony Evans uh, on Instagram put this week. And I thought it was so fitting as I, as I gleaned my Instagram. I thought, man, this would fit this lesson. He defined brokenness as pain with a purpose. Brokenness is pain with a purpose that's the end point often, right? I mean, that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's allowing pain to happen with a purpose. And in the Christian world, that is often brokenness. And it is a place of great sensitivity. So we look at delays and we blame God. God, you're not answering them. In fact, do you know what we say in delays? I'll give you some common statements that we make in delays. We say, like, man, it's too late. Nothing's gonna change. We say things like, I missed my chance for a good outcome. How many single people are saying that tonight? God doesn't even care. We, we say these things. Or, or we say this, I don't deserve any better. I got what I deserved. There's so much self-condemnation in our minds and in our hearts that we just assume the worst about ourselves, about God, and, and we miss the reality that when God delays in his answers, there's always a really good reason why. And Jesus says that to them, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And so we're told again that he stayed two days longer. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to them, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. That is such a statement of confidence. God is like, Jesus is God. And he's like, I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm not afraid of those who want to kill me because I'm walking in the light. And so many of us can, can meditate on these words and get the confidence as we're walking through, I believe is the, one of the darkest seasons that any of us have walked through in our life. 2020 has been a dark season without a doubt. Many people can't wait till 2021. And by God's grace, I hope it changes. But we might go into some more darkness. We don't know what the future holds. But if we're walking in the light, as he is in the light, we have no reason to fear. And so after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now the disciples are much like us. They say, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. So now Jesus says plainly to them, Lazarus has died. 
Can you stand unshaken in the face of the death of that which you desperately want to be alive? Can you, can you stand unshaken when God doesn't show up, though you know he could fix your problem, though you know he, 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 he loves you, that he wants what's best for you? Or are you like so many of us who have been in this place and, and assumed that his delays are his denials? Listen, God's delays are not his denials. God's delays are always meant for our good. In fact, Jesus says, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. So we see so far God's glory. We see our faith. Those are the things that God is working out. There are things that are deeper, things that we don't automatically see, things that are vital to our Christian life. They're vital to our hope. And so he says, but let us go to him. Thomas, who's the Eeyore of the disciples, he's like my soul brother. He says, he, he's called the twin. He says to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. He's like, we're all dead. And so if Jesus comes and he finds Lazarus, this in verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Why is four days so relevant? Well, in the Jewish tradition, three days was sort of this time that it was thought when someone dies for three days, the soul of the person, this was their tradition, it's not medical fact, but they believed that for three days, the soul of the person hovered around the grave so that there was potentially a chance of revival. And so that fourth day, Jesus waits until that fourth day when it's like, it's as dead as dead can be. Like Lazarus is dead. Like I would have noticed that Lazarus was dead like a minute into his death. Like take a pulse, Measure the blood pressure, there's nothing there. You might have, you know, occasionally you keep going with CPR, maybe another few minutes, but, but there's a point where like this guy is as dead as dead can be. Well, in the case of Lazarus, it's four days later. Like I cannot imagine a world where there's any question, but Jesus waits because tradition suggests that there's a chance that he could still come to life. And, and Jesus is prepping for a miracle. And you say, how do I stand unshaken when God doesn't show up on time? First, you, you, you've got to believe and understand that there's always a really good reason why. But here's a second point. When God delays in his answers, there's always much more to come. We write the end of the story. We see uh, death happen in any area of our life now. I'm not talking humanly. I mean, I understand that, you know, my dad died five years ago. Like the odds are he's, well, he will revive someday, but it will be the moment Jesus comes to rule the earth. You know, there will be an eternity where he's not in the tomb. He's, he's now his soul is with the Lord. Like we get that. But, but realistically, some things are dead, but, but there are things in our life right now as we live and move and have our being that we have seen come to an end and we've questioned God. In fact, in fact, you know, whenever we hit these areas of delays. I gave you some examples of some of the things we say, but here are some, some mistakes that we, what, that we make, some things that we do that we ought to consider. And, and I think this is worth sort of jotting down what we do in delays, because, because I think the challenge is as we start to fall into the trap of doing those things is to remember that the story's not over. There's still much more to come. Lazarus has died. It's been four days, but Jesus is just getting started. He's just arrived at the place, like he hasn't even started to have the first conversation with Martha. The story is yet to be written. In many of our minds, if we lived in that chapter, we would have been like, it's over. Let's bury the guy and let's you know, finish the time of mourning so we can move on to the next chapter. And, and we'd be gossiping about Mary and Martha. What are they gonna do the rest of their life? You know, like, like that would be the end. None of us would be on our knees going, man, what if, just what if there's more to come here? 
And so, so what we do in that zone when we start to give up, we, we go through the things that we say, but, but really some of the things that we do here, jot those down, see which one of those are, are, are maybe in your life right now and they're causing you to be discouraged, they're causing you to stumble, they're causing you to doubt God. First, we reach wrong conclusions. The biggest wrong conclusion is God doesn't care about me. The biggest wrong conclusion is God doesn't love me. God doesn't love me, therefore he's allowing me to go through this. That is the greatest wrong conclusion. We doubt God's goodness. And yet in John 11, over and over again, at the beginning of the story, we are reminded that Jesus loved, not just that Mary and Martha and Lazarus loved Jesus, but that he, that he loved them. So, so, so be careful the conclusions you reach in times of delays. Here's another thing we do. Um, we run to quick solutions. We're uncomfortable in the waiting. Rather than, than allowing God to grow whatever it is that he's trying to grow, to move whatever movement of the spirit that he's trying to do in our life, we, we just want to fix it. So we try, we run to, to quick solutions, whatever that may be, and often we get in trouble. This is classic Abraham. God had promised him a child, and he and Sarah should have waited, and eventually they did wait, and God honored their faith. Like, I get that, but in the middle, they, they did not wait. Enter Hagar, and a mess. Now, was God sovereign over it? You better believe it. But think about the pain. If you don't know that story, go back to the beginning of Unshaken. You can see the story of Abraham. And so, so we run to quick solutions. Here's another one. We resent God's timing and his ways. There's a resentment that brews in our heart where, where, we, where we may not be speaking wrong conclusions, but, but we build a wall between us and God and we numb our hearts to the Lord and, and we sort of show up. We show up to Bible study. We show up to devotional time, but our hearts are not engaged. We don't trust God. We, we worry that he could, you know, we have this fear that this is a God who could have helped us and didn't. And so rather than leaning into him, we lean away. Here's another thing we do. We resign ourselves to despair. We have this resigned attitude of like, okay, Sarah, Sarah, you know, this is the Christian life. This is my lot in life. I better make the most of it. I'll just grin and bear it, you know, and it is God's ways. And, and we fall into this, this hopeless, resigned attitude that it, that brings nothing to the glory of God because why because we give up on the fact that God still has much more to come and in the places where we've signed him off he's just showing up everybody's mourning at the tomb everybody's ready to bury the guy and Jesus is just showing up here's another thing we do we replace God in our delays when we're tired of waiting when we've given up on God we replace God with what feels good right now those are called idols, the things that we turn to for our satisfaction, for our happiness, when God doesn't seem to give us the happiness that we so long for. And so when God delays in his answers, there's always much more to come. So now this heart of a conversation that happens between Jesus and Martha, this is just essential to look at. So he comes and he shows up to Martha. Martha heard that Jesus was coming in verse 20. She went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We don't know her tone. Is she accusing him? Is she declaring more faith? I don't know, but, 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 but she declares faith here. She says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, I guarantee you, Martha was not speaking resurrection language. I don't know what she meant, but, but we see it because later when it is time to resurrect him, she's sort of timid in her faith. So I don't know what prompted her, the Spirit of God prompted her to say this, but she, she's, she's sort of like, on one hand, she's questioning God. On the other hand, she has this, this faith that's still there. She goes, even now, 
What's your even now tonight? What is your prayer as you face those things in your life that are dead, that look like they're gone, that you were hoping for, that it seems as if God has not answered? Could you tonight, like Martha, say, even now, God, I believe that you could turn what's dead in my life into life. So Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And so Martha does what we do. She intellectualizes, she spiritualizes, she kind of sort of reminds me of the woman at the well in John chapter four. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. We all sort of revert to religious talk when we want to make ourselves feel better. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Remember, this is whole, the whole thing is about her faith and the glory of God. And so he now challenges her. He says, do you believe this? He doesn't say, do you understand it? This isn't an intellectual acquiescence of saying, yeah, but I, I kind of understand it. I, I agree. I agree, God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you're the life. I see it. No, no, no. The question that Jesus asks us is, do we believe it? Not just think it and understand it, but do we believe it? Do we, do we genuinely have hope that even in our darkest spaces, Jesus has more to come? And so, as any good soldier would do, I mean, this, this, this Martha, this daughter of the Lord, I mean, she, 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 she's like, reminds me again of the man who says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, but hers, and she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. So she declares by faith that which God has asked her. She says, yes, I believe it. Now, now again, does it have to be a perfect faith? You'll see in a minute, it wasn't a perfect faith. When he asked her in a second to remove the stone, she's the first one to say, how can we remove the stone? The guy's still dead. We'll get to that in a second. But there's a willingness to believe. And I think sometimes we, we, we think that our faith has to be perfect when Jesus says all you need is a faith as little as a mustard seed. And so, so a reminder here, just some sub points, without a death, there is no resurrection. And so when you talk about what is it that's more to come, well, well, listen, there's a lot more to come in any situation in our life where God has allowed brokenness to happen, where something has died in our life, because without that death, you would never see the resurrection. How is the resurrection going to happen? I don't know. When is it going to happen? Only the Lord knows, but there's a, a necessity. In fact, there's another way to say it. Without a need, there is no space for a miracle. Some of you have longed for God to show up miraculously in our lives. I long for it. I long for breakthrough. And we wait and we wait and we wait and we wonder and we wonder. And then we resent and we question and we get discouraged and then we sign off and we move on. We turn the page in our journals and fine, I'll just pick another area to pray for. And God's like, man, I'm not, I'm not done with that first area. Where there is no need, there is no space for a miracle. And then here's the truth about our faith. Without resistance, our faith won't grow. Every one of us, I know it, you guys keep showing up. It's been a year that we've been doing this study, nine months or so, and, and we want to be unshaken. We want to be strong in faith no matter what. Well, it's not gonna happen without resistance. I have a Peloton, and I bought it a year and a half ago, and I never used it until recently. And I'm telling you, now it's like I'm addicted to it. I've only done 10 rides. I can't say, I mean, my addictions, I mean, if you call that an addiction, but I'm on today my 11th ride. And actually, you guys can pray for me. Tomorrow I have a small procedure on my ankle that's going to set me back for a couple of months. Nothing big, but you know, anything can happen in surgery. So pray for safety. I'll be back on Tuesday teaching God's word. But nonetheless, 
the Peloton, I mean, one of the key strategies is there's, there's two things that you control, the cadence and the resistance. I did a hit ride today, it's only 20 minutes, but I felt like I was dying. And every few minutes, the teacher goes, turn up your resistance by a couple of points. And at first you're like, no big, I can handle this. And you turn it up a little and then they prep you. They're like, by the end of the ride, you're going to be this many more points more. And you're kind of going, okay, I think I can handle it. But by the time you get to like two more, your legs are like rubber and you're going, I don't think I can take any more resistance. And just when you think you're going to die, they come on and they're like, dude, you stick it out. And they remind you that it is that resistance that's helping you get stronger. We all understand it. You see people who lift weights. Say, so how do you get so strong when they build up more resistance, more resistance, more resistance so that they get stronger. And when God brings that resistance in our life in the form of waiting and delays, we've got to become accustomed to hear like the voice of a Peloton teacher. We've got to learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, this is the means to help you get stronger. Do you believe that I could still raise what's dead in your life? And all of Jesus really is asking is for a yes or a no. It can be a timid yes. Sometimes when I lift the resistance, I look at the range in the class and I see that I'm right at the edge of the lowest. I'm only 10 rides into it, okay? Some of these guys are like 300 rides into it and they're like here. And I'm at like, you know, 40 to 65, I'm at 40. And sometimes I feel like, man, such a, you know, I don't want to say something negative about myself, but I'm like, I'll be like, I'm such a loser, but, but I don't say that language. I'm trying to change my words and I'll be like, man, I got to get stronger. But, but the truth is I will. And so I've only done 10 rides and now I'm noticing I'm not at the bottom. I'll be like at 42 or 43 sometimes in fairness, because it's been 10 rides. That's how it works, right? You start seeing growth and it feels good and you want to come back and do the next ride. Why? Because because you want to get stronger. And when you see yourself getting stronger, it's awesome. That's what this is about. And so when God delays in his answers, there's always a really good reason why. When God delays in his answers, there's always much more to come. And then the last point is this, and I'll take us through the rest of the story. When God delays in his answers, my faith is growing ever stronger. I'll read you a little bit more here. It says, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same exact words that Martha had said. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He says, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then verse 35, every Sunday school child's favorite verse to memorize, two words, Jesus wept. By the way, it might be every Sunday school teacher's or student's favorite verse to memorize, but I can guarantee you this. It is every grieving heart's favorite verse to hang on to. It is the understanding and the realization that Jesus has compassion on those who are hurting. There's a lot of commentaries why he wept. He maybe wept because he knew he was going to be raising Lazarus back to life and Lazarus was with the Lord. And so you can conjecture, but the fact is that Jesus had compassion on his people. 
Reminds me of the Exodus verse where God saw, God heard, God had that tenderness in his heart. You feel that tenderness towards the people who are complaining and begging for help. God sees us. He knows the pain that we're in. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, there's always cynical people in the group, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Of course, this is a rhetorical question. Of course he could have kept him. The very same Jesus who could heal the blind man and help him see, the very same Jesus who could touch a leper and heal him, who could, who could restore the hand of the, the man with the defect in his hand, the guy, the same Jesus who could, who could speak demons out of people, that same Jesus had power over death. He was able to bring life out of death. But this was their chance. Jesus knew who he was. He knew what he could do. This was their chance to learn who he is. And so Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. He didn't say it that way. He probably said, take away the stone. Martha and the, the sister. Now, Martha, again, she's a star in the story. She's hilarious. She just had this massive faith encounter with the Lord. She's like, you know, there's an invitation. Jesus like, do you believe it? She runs down the aisle, bows before him. He's like, I believe now. The practical application of faith, right? Jesus says to her, uh, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time, there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. See how far our faith goes sometimes not even five verses and yet jesus in compassion reminds her he says did i not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of god i, I, I love that verse that verse has been such an encouragement for me. Irina texted me before this teaching and says, this is your favorite chapter. This verse, I have it circled. I have written next to it in September of 2019, a little note to myself. I have, God has used this passage of scripture in my life at various times and various seasons where I felt the weight of the delays in my life, the waiting, the prayers that have been unanswered. And every time I come to God and wonder, God, do you care? Man, what's happening? How why are we still waiting? Is this hopeless? God reminds me through his word did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God and I'm learning number one not to decide in my own heart what it is that will bring the glory of God I can't decide he decides I've got to trust him to do that but also to have the hope that God can do more I wrote down these these uh, words for that here we've got to move from the fear of getting our hopes up to expanding our hope in the Lord. The problem with so many of us in the waiting is that rather than deepening our hope in the Lord, we stop hoping. We sort of move into the res this resigned hopelessness. We've got to learn as followers of Jesus to move away from the fear of getting my hopes up. You know what that looks like? It's like you hope me, God, will bring it back to life, the thing that I've prayed for. But then you're afraid. I, no, I can't think like that. So we set ourselves up. We lower our expectations of God. It's like we give him room to fail. God doesn't need our space to fail. He, he is already God. And so we've got to move from this fear of getting my hopes up. That is, that is not faith in God to believing and expanding our hope. We tend to taper our hopes during times of delays, instead of deepening our hopes in the Lord. This is classic Ephesians 3.20. God wants to do above and beyond what we could ask or think. The problem with this is we come to God with expectations based on what we want, on the story that we have already written. There is not a, a, a scenario in the world where Mary and Martha could have predicted 
that Jesus would have shown up four days late and raised their brother Lazarus from the dead. They just, this wasn't even in their dictionary. Like in the Rolodex of possibilities, this wouldn't have even been a possibility for them. That's how many of us are living our life right now. We come to God with a list of ands, possible ands. We give him a multiple choice. Like, God, you can do A, B, C, or D. And when God's like, well, I don't want any of those options. There's E or F or G. Like, we fear and we're like, man, I don't know if I can trust this God. And God's like, I'm just getting started. You let me choose all of the above or whatever it is that he wants to choose. Are you willing tonight to turn over your expectations to him? Put them in him. Put all of your eggs in the basket of God. You say, well, what do we do in the meantime as we wrap it up tonight? Well, well here, here, here's what I've learned. Sometimes the only thing for us to do by faith is the very next thing. And so here in the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the very next thing was what? Take away the stone. It was a practical thing. It was a tangible thing. It was an easy thing. But it demanded faith. And it demanded Kicking down that fear that God might not do the impossible. It demanded trusting that God who asked them to move the stone might in fact bring Lazarus from the dead. And so they did. They took away the stone. That is what they did. The very next thing they did was the very next thing. They took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes. So they did the part that they could do. And now Jesus does the part that only he can do. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And so what did Lazarus do? Well, he did the very next thing he could do. He got out. <laughs> the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. And now Jesus says to them the very next thing, unbind him and let him go. All God asks for us to do is the very next thing that we can do by faith. You let the miracles happen according to his will. You let him do the hard stuff. You just do the very next thing. I was thinking about that right before I signed on. I thought for some of you guys, the very next thing tonight is to put your head on the pillow and sleep. Stop carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. Put your head on the pillow and sleep. That's all God asks you to do. Cast your cares upon him for he careth for you. That's the old King James Version, because that's the kind of girl I, I am. And so when God delays in his answers, my faith is growing ever stronger. Here's just some final thoughts. Faith tested reveals how much we really believe God. For th some of us, we're being tested, and the truth is, and as we look at our hearts, and I've had to reckon those things in my life, that as my faith has been tested in the last years, there have been seasons where I've spoken faith and teaching others about God, but when it plays out in my life, my faith has been weak. And so faith tested reveals what I really believe about God. And so that is a diagnostic test, those delays and those tests of faith. Here's another thought. Faith obeyed reveals how much we really trust God. Obedience is about trust. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be, um, I have to sing it to say it, to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And then the third, I think this is probably the most important, faith purified, my faith purified, reveals how much God really loves me. God is not satisfied with keeping us with baby faith. He knows that the stronger our faith is, the more stable and unshaken our walk is. And he will not rest he would even allow brokenness, even a death in our lives before he provides the resurrection in order to show us how much he loves us 
by purifying that faith in our life. So how much is God trying to show you he loves you right now? You might be in a long season of waiting and delay. And look, I know every time I've taught this, I always say, I know some Lazaruses will not come to life, but listen to me. We're not gonna even go there right now. This story is about the raising of what's dead. There are some things in your life right now that God longs to raise. And all he asks is this, do you believe? And then for some of you, he's saying, have I not told you, did I, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Why don't we just sit in that space tonight? We spend so much time, I spend so much time hedging against God's grace and goodness and miraculous ways. Why not tonight just rest in the possibility that God might do above and beyond what we could ask or think? Are you willing to do that tonight?